Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. It's the last podcast before the end of the season. The final race is before us, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. We're going to preview for you we're going to preview that for you today. We've also got Newcastle with the supercars, the finale there and a championship actually on the line which will be good to discuss and preview. And look forward to for the weekend. So, as always, I'm Jawad, joined by Baden. Um, apologies off the top. I'm a little under the weather today. So, if I've got a bit of a Kimi-style monotone happening, then you know it's because I've got a blocked nose and all that. But anyway, Baden, we're finally here. The final race of 2018. We don't have any championships on the line for the F1, at least. But... I guess, you know, the teams and drivers will be concerned about those minor places that are yet to be determined. Hi, everyone, and for the last time in season, welcome to to our coverage, and we hope you've enjoyed the ride through the year, and we hope that we can go off with a, a bang at Abu Dhabi as much as you've alluded to both championships being already resolved. It'd still be nice for the season to wind up on a high note at Brazil we had a pretty much a humdinger of a race and Abu Dhabi we would hope that there'll be some drivers there with those minor placings like uh, we've got Kimi Raikkonen, Valtteri Bottas, Max Verstappen in that fight for the minor spot there to go to the uh, FIA prize gala I'm not sure if Kimi Raikkonen would be that keen so perhaps he'll do his best to to allow the other guys to, to get in there but again it's just that feeling of emptiness for for both of us that it's coming to an end. Yeah, exactly, but also just not having a championship to decide at this final race, as we've talked about so many times. But anyway, looking at the race itself, so as you say, Kimi, P3 at the moment, he's got that 14-point buffer over Bottas and Verstappen, and not very keen to go to these prize-giving galas is Kimi, so could he give up those 14 points? Who knows? Just so he doesn't have to go to the function. But yeah, between... Uh, Verstappen and Bottas, they're quite close to each other in the championship. So Bottas, we heard Toto Wolff say during the week that he wants to secure the victory for Bottas, who's been luckless, he's been winless. You can describe him whichever way you want this season. But, you know, this is the last chance. And if Mercedes are in a position to win the race, you'd be you'd hope that they'd have to give it to Bottas, given that they don't want to end the season with him not having a victory under the belt. And it seems Mercedes has finally decided they're going to unleash whatever reserve firepower they might have with both titles secured, what that means, whether they've got any components for 2019 or whether they will be so gracious to, to handbot us, one of those victories we've mentioned so frequently that he should already have registered. But on the current form of it, he's really been down on his um, ability the last few races and you can't blame him essentially the way the year's panned out for him but you can only hope based on what he showed 12 months ago that he's able to finish the year on a positive note because 2019 will really be quite pivotal to his long-term future. Yeah exactly his future's suddenly come into speculation and doubt about whether he'll be there beyond 2019 with Esteban Ocon's name very much in the mix for 2020, but um, Mercedes, they've not lost a race in Abu Dhabi um, in the hybrid era, and it's a race that Ferrari's never won before, so Sebastian Vettel, won three races here back when he was with Red Bull, but um, yeah, Ferrari, even though they've got their own theme park next door, they actually haven't won here before. Yes, it's hard to believe, again, when you look at the, the form chart, as much as you'd like to say that Ferrari defied the odds at particular 
Mercedes strongholds previously, it really is hard to see. Just the characteristics of the circuit lend itself so nicely to Mercedes strong suits. And, and Lewis Hamilton did break that monkey off his back of post-championship, I guess, malaise, you could, you could call it, whenever he's secured a title, he seems to switch off. So I think it's going to be hard to see them surrendering this one as much as Ferrari would like to... Again, cap off a year where when everything's off the table, they seem to get their act together. Yeah, exactly, and uh, make it five out of five in the hybrid era. Bottas won here last year, of course. So, yeah, that's, I guess, the the tip for this weekend. And I very much think if Mercedes are in that dominant position, as they've been so many times in the hybrid era, that, yeah, Bottas is going to be your winner this weekend. So... Um, expect fully expect that to happen but with Red Bull it's the final race for uh, Daniel Ricciardo at Red Bull um, a lot's been documented a lot's been talked about between ourselves as well on this podcast about how it's just come to a somewhat of an acrimonious ending but um, neither Red Bull in the hybrid era have been on the podium at Abu Dhabi so Dan's never had a podium here full stop Max hasn't either so could we see one of those guys get up there? You'd hope it's Dan, just so he could he could go out on a positive note. And I guess finishing fourth would have been a, such a sigh of relief in Brazil, given that he's had eight retirements this season and it's just been quite diabolical. Well, symbolic on many fronts, not just for Ricardo. He's a hundredth start with Red Bull, hundred and fiftieth Grand Prix altogether, and the twelve year association between Red Bull and Renault comes to an end on a. It's a strange one. They've they've been really quite competitive this season, but it's still going to end very much in a pale shadow of those heights of 2010 through 2013 when they took the world by storm before Mercedes really came and have owned the decade subsequently. So you, you would hope for them, whether it's Ricardo or Verstappen, that they have something to at least go out on, on a high note and uh, it's just that feeling for a, a lot of those guys though like the Australian that they're just going to be happy to see the chequered flag and put a line through this season yeah and look forward to what would happen at Renault next year so I guess yeah that's the the top three guys for you um, looking at the minor placings I guess as far as outside the the usual big three um, the constructors championship between Haas and Renault Haas would basically have to finish on the podium if they were to overhaul the Renault total for P4 in the standings. So you could say that they've pretty much got that in the bag, do Renault, but, you know, stranger things have happened, but this is no Brazil where we could expect some kind of chaos to turn the race on its head. Well, once more, those early season blunders and Australia alone, those double points finishes which went awry, that that's uh, boiled down to the difference as it stands. And, And on paper... Haas has been extremely competitive in the, the back half of the season, much as Sauber, but just the fact that they weren't on it from the outset with both cars, it's left too much to do too late in the piece. Yeah, exactly. So, But regardless of that, Haas can still feel proud of themselves for the kind of season they've had, and next year they can only get better with the consistent driver lineup, and you'd hope the form that Grosjean's come into at the end of the season does, does continue on for next year. It seems as though they're building nicely, just like a few of those midfielders. That's the the optimism for us, as long as the order doesn't essentially reset itself with the regulation changes and there is some flow over, then I think we've got reason to hope that that gap will 
maybe shrink a little bit in the off-season. Yeah, that would probably be better just to make it a lot more closer and qualifying. And then, of course, in the race, everyone on their uh, respective strategies and whatnot. But other than that, it's been pretty uh, a tight battle between those two all year. And, you know, even going into next year, Haas keeping the same driver lineup. Renault, how much of an advantage do they get over those guys over the winter? And of course, with Daniel Ricciardo's impending arrival as well, it's going to make it a lot more interesting. But moving it on, um, 14 points separate, you know, Force India from McLaren um, for P6 in the championship. So if Force India were able to overhaul that 14 points, I guess that'll move them up considering... They've only had half a season to score back all these points, but even if they finish where they do in seventh at the end of the year, it's still a, a great sorry, great achievement given that they had their points reset midway through the season and they were able to score this many so quickly. As ever, they've been that model of consistency probably outside of the big teams since the hybrid era. We know that Williams started off really quite strongly and they've just fallen away really dramatically in the past two seasons but Force India has been that constant and, and most seasons really have picked up at least a podium and you do hope with its new identity whichever that reveals itself to be and, and with Lance Stroll there for the future and his father's backing that that they could continue to make the inroads and just be free of all of that burden which came with uh, VJ Mallier and co. Yeah, you'd think that they'd probably be where Renault and Haas are as far as positions are concerned. But quickly, while we're talking about McLaren, um, final race for Fernando Alonso. We saw pictures of that special livery that he will run with his colours on the car this weekend. And, of course, for Stoffel van Dorn too before he moves off to Formula E. So um, yeah, it'll be an emotional weekend for those guys. And given their tough run of luck at of late, you'd hope that they could at least bag a few points just to uh, send both those guys out. Particularly Alonso, who's just um, yeah the last few years, um, even back when he was at Ferrari, the last two years of his Ferrari tenure just have not been exciting whatsoever. Well, it's difficult to believe when you look at the standings at Alonso. It's not a surprise in the sense that he does punch above his weight like he has every year in inferior machinery, but he's picked up quite a few there, but it's just the contrast to those expectations coming into this year with Renault and the fallout from it, and now just that idea that it's so close to it all being over, and, and we'll find out pretty quickly in 2019 what we are missing out on, the good and the bad of the man that is Fernando Alonso, so mercurial, but you do hope he does deserve something to go right this time around, just just for him to at least ride off into the sunset on a happy note, because um, you, you could easily make a film out of what his Formula One career has been and all those tributes which have come out in the past few weeks just serve as a reminder of how it went wrong at every every turn. Yeah, exactly. It's always going to be remembered as, you know, the poor decision-making as far as uh, moves in his career are concerned. But at the same time, we need to celebrate the two-time world champion, 32 Grand Prix victories and, you know, one of the best drivers of the, the generation that's about to come to an end once Lewis Hamilton retires so um, yeah it's been it's been quite the journey for Alonso and then Van Dorn too I guess it's a bit sad as I've said previously seeing him drop off the grid given that he does have such a talent but then just 
wasted again like the likes of Kevin Magnuson was in that McLaren team where at the moment they've just not rudderless but just yeah the consistency and just where they are it just keeps getting worse and worse in a different life he would have consolidated his reputation which preceded him when he he made his debut everyone calling him quite um most prominently in in comparison to Alain Prost and that was something everyone was really quite excited about and the fact that hasn't been able to be realized it's a little bit on on Van Dorn that he hasn't delivered on that hype but largely McLaren that they've failed him in that sense that we've had a real talent slip through the net yeah exactly so um we'll see what happens I guess final race and then it's all systems go for 2019 all new driver lineup and you'd hope that with the new personnel coming on board as well that it will be a better season for them. But um, going back to Force India, um, if things do go wrong for them this weekend and they don't score any points, well, Sauber is not too far behind them. They're six points behind in the standings. So and the way that they've been racing of late, they've been scoring points in the last few races and not with just Charles Leclerc, with, with, but with Marcus Ericsson too. So it's, their, it's going to be their final race for Sauber as well with Leclerc off to Ferrari and, of course, Ericsson off to IndyCar next year, so you'd hope that uh, they can bring a good result for Sauber and potentially overhaul Force India. It'd be no surprise on merit. Sauber's probably had the fourth or fifth best car in the back half of the season, and and for Force India, in the scheme of it, after surrendering those points mid-season, they would be probably just hoping just to maximise that financial gain that they'll get and and regardless of what happens it's going to be a feel-good story and and force India in the long run with their own future secured it's not going to be a big deal if Sauber does get up and and I think that would just be great for the Swiss outfit based on the early season predictions who would have thought they'd be really taking it up to the team that was fourth last year for the last two seasons. Yeah exactly and forget not too that Esteban Ocon, unfortunately, this is could be well. This will be his final race for maybe a year. So, with some news to discuss later about Williams and their driver lineup. But yeah, Ocon will be looking to go out on a high if he can as well. And just to make sure that all of the uh, really promising inroads he made isn't lost to what happened a fortnight ago at Brazil, it would be a real shame if that's the footnote to really a career which we hope can resume in the coming 12 months yeah exactly whether it's at Mercedes or somewhere else and what about Toro Rosso as well given that this year was basically a um, a breeding season for Honda the project after separating with McLaren we know Red Bull will take on engine supply next year so can uh, Pierre Gasly have one last uh, point-scoring race for Toro Rosso before he moves up to Red Bull? What about Brendan Hartley as well, given that his future is pretty much decided? It looks like he won't be on the F1 grid next year, unfortunately. Does he get in a result that he can put his uh, hold his head up high and leave the sport with? Toro Rosso has been a real enigma this season, perhaps the most anonymous outfit on the grid. As much as they've had their moments, it's been largely few and far between and and Gasly's done all the right things and he deserves that crack at Red Bull but it's it's Hartley who who looks like he's started to gain that momentum but it does seem as though it's going to be too late for him as a shame as it appears that either 
Um, we're going to have Albon or Tictum in, in the mix. We'll discuss Tictum shortly, but it seems as though they're pretty bent on either of those two getting that berth. And you can only hope that for Hartley that he does find himself that alternate drive because he's still very much got a marketable value elsewhere. Yeah, I'm sure regardless of what's happened this year, he will still end up somewhere next year in a top drive. So, yeah, but it's just the, the Formula One gig. You don't People will look at him who don't view other motorsport or don't high, don't hold it as highly as they do F1, look at his uh, performance in F1 and say that, oh, he was clearly not good enough. So I think that's that would be totally unfair if that was the assessment that some people gave him. Yes, and, and for where they're at, 2019, possibly a pivotal year for, for Toro Rosso in what it wants to define itself as. And you can only hope that in going back to the future with Kafiat and whoever has that, second seat that they can just justify um i guess they're very existent yeah exactly so um it's going to be a hopefully an interesting weekend uh not going to be affected by weather we hope <laughs> which you know in the middle of the desert very unlikely but it does happen we saw it during the test not test match sorry there was a one day match there between pakistan and new zealand which got washed out in dubai so you know it does happen, but anyway, um, I tip Bottas early for an early win, um, given how Mercedes have been so dominant, and also given that Toto Wolff said, "Yeah, we basically owe this guy a win," so just pencil him in for for the weekend. But um, yeah, other than that, it you know it'll finally hit you once the race is over. That yeah, it's uh, been another long year as far as F one's concerned, and um, we'll miss it up until March next year. In a way, just that slow burn, the way it snuffed out after Ferrari did what it um, also did 12 months ago. So the fallout isn't as pronounced. We've had time to, to digest it. Nevertheless, that break will probably hit home after a, about a fortnight when there's no action in there to, to fill that void. So uh, we can only hope that 2019 finally, as we've alluded to, whether it is Ferrari or Red Bull gets its act together with Honda, or dare we say anyone else, somehow coinciding with the new regs. It, it's always that time of optimism before we're either surprised or disappointed. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, if this year was any benchmark to compare it to, I would say you're not going to know until the mid-season break, really. And again, that was the case with this year because it was after the mid-season break that it all just fell apart for Ferrari so yeah it's it's not going to be until I guess the middle of next year August when we get to Belgium that you'll be thinking more about the championship unless someone runs away with it early on in the year of course. Yes lessons learned Ferrari certainly highlighted that that if as much as they might look like they're really coming on strong after nine or ten races it can tumble over quicker than a house of cards in the the resumption. Yeah exactly so let's move it on then the digest and um, the grid looks like it's set for 2019 because we're going to have the announcement later today while it is expected 100% done deal that Robert Kubitzer will be rejoining the grid um, after eight years I think it's been now since he's uh, since his accident um, after the 2010 season and the recovery that he's had has been remarkable there was talk that we'd never see him in an F1 car again let alone be a race driver so yeah to bring his experience his wealth of experience to Williams in 2019, I guess, as sad as it is that Ocon doesn't get the seat, it's a feel-good story 
um, for Kubica, but also all the experience he brings in and with George Russell there, the rookie. That's what Williams needs, doesn't it? Either way, regardless of how competitive he is, we won't die wondering now, and, and it's going to be one of the great feel-good stories of Formula One and just general sporting history. So it's just justice for, for all of his efforts to believe in himself to make it come to fruition and probably just underlines when we do hope that he can deliver on that promise from 12 months ago when he was overlooked and, and Williams hopefully making inroads on a after a year of probably one of their worst in their own history that he's able to at least have a car which's capable of showing what he would have continued in 2011 and beyond and we all know that fabled story of how he was destined for Ferrari and that that's obviously something that'll never happen but with Williams you can only hope that they've got something next year where he's able to be in the mix for points yeah mix in the mix with the points but just his uh from a development point of view as well that the guidance that he can bring them as well and the mentoring he can give to George Russell yeah you're not gonna as you said we're not gonna die wondering what could have been but um yeah just hope that he isn't just flandering around at the back of the grid we want to see him competitive and up up in the mix for points but um yeah it's another thing we'll have to wait and see until we get to pre-season testing next year yes again it's just uh one of those moments where after such a long time uh, probably when the official announcement comes it'll take a while for that to sink in and he'll have a few months to be able to to get his head around it and good luck to whatever he produces exactly next thing um so we had the Macau GP over the weekend and the biggest thing to come out of that was of course the the huge shunt for that involved um 17 year old driver Sophia Flourish um such a sickening accident when you replay the the video over and over again um she fractured her spine but the good news is that she's undergone two rounds of successful surgery and is on the mend so it just i guess a testament to the safety of even formula three cars these days you know if it was like a decade ago or something then circumstances the outcome could have been a lot more different but we're just glad to hear that she's okay and on the mend and looking all ready to make a comeback for next year really it was a a miracle you just see the ferocity uh, ferocity the way she blink of an eye just pirouettes straight through the the barrier head first exposed into that canopy and um with marshals on hand that catch fencing didn't luckily strike her head on and anything there that that could have inflicted more damage and already did and and just for her considering that um, other than the fact that that she's a female and quite a rarity who's competitive in the lower category she's showing real potential towards the future and probably for for women in motorsport that the best hope that we've got of seeing a, a woman in formula one anytime soon so it would have been a, a real tragedy if something had have gone down which stopped her from let alone racing again might have been any kind of fatality so we can hope that she's able to brush herself off from this and however long it takes for her to recover she bounces back even stronger and this will give her some 
amazing mental fortitude, I would say. If you can survive that, then you're pretty well set for, for anything else that might come your way. And um, we hope to see you back on the grid in 2019. Yeah, and it was also good to hear as well that the marshals and the photographers that were in that little canopy um, where the car hit, that they're okay as well. So no fatalities from this one. So overall, a good... Um, a good outcome even though there is a bit of recovery involved there for those involved um, and while we're still in Macau so Dan Tictum as you mentioned earlier he secured Dan Dictum as yeah, we like Dan to Dan Dictum as we like to talk about um, yeah he won again at Macau in the F3 race so he won there last year he's uh, backed it up with a win this year, and he's secured enough super license points to make a Formula 2 debut, um, and he's going to do that this weekend in Abu Dhabi. So he'll be racing for the the Arden team, of course, who's owned, which is owned by Christian Horner's father, of course. So the Red Bull ties are there. And, you know, after this, he's only going to require another, I think, five super license points before he is eligible for Formula 1. And there is talk that he could do some series over the winter like a Toyota racing series or something to secure those points to perhaps be on the grid next year and maybe this is why Toro Rosso haven't exactly confirmed Alexander Albon yet for for 2019 but um yeah Dan Tickton still in the running it seems. It has been quite inexplicable that Alexander Albon in his naming on that entry list you think that's more of a a formality just as someone's at least uh, on that registry before the um, the deadline there but as far as that hype which built up over the last few months it looked like he was suddenly a lock once Red Bull could extract him from his Nissan obligations but that hasn't been finalized yet and the fact that Tickton's getting this run at Abu Dhabi and now the talk of the offseason they're, they're giving him every opportunity despite his antics and his sentiments against Mick Schumacher he, he certainly didn't make himself, uh, cover himself in glory with any of that little chapter, but it, it does appear that they've got a bit of faith in him and it'll be up to him to, to prove if he is afforded that opportunity that he actually delivers. Well, Nissan already have a contingency in place if Albon is to move into Formula 1 next year, so they've got Oliver Rowland on standby to um, replace him in the Formula E team if Albon does get that gig, but... Um, you know, it's it just shows you how haphazard the Red Bull Junior program has been over the past few years. They've gone through so many drivers that they were a little caught out, I guess, even with last year having to bring back uh, Brandon Hartley because because the likes of Tickton or whatever were not ready to make the step up into F1. And even at the moment, it almost seems a bit too rushed that they're trying to get those super license points together if he does a series over the winter it's a lot a high risk strategy rather than letting him perhaps do a season in f2 next year and then bringing him in for 2020 give at least give albon the run for 2019 and when you consider also the the idea that he was pipped on merit by mick schumacher to that title in in f3 and and considering that he it seems the german will be doing a season in formula 2 rather than rushing in whether he has been uh, bought in really prematurely that'll come home to roost and and you'd hope that for what it is that little chapter that it will continue in in some form whether tickton does end up in f1 and then mick schumacher follows suit in a year or so or tickton ends up in f2 alongside schumacher that that rivalry does continue to grow and it's just a fascinating backdrop to it all and it just shows you Red Bull's 
mindset, very haphazard. And, and as I alluded to earlier with Toro Rosso itself, their decision making and, and they're left to to live with um, their decisions. So you'd hope that if they're in two minds that they give someone else who, who's been probably a more of a longer term proposition as in an Albon or, or Hartley, if he gets one last crack, that it ends up paying itself off. Yeah, exactly. And I would really love to see next year, you talked about Schumacher versus Tickton resuming. I would really love to see uh, Russell versus Norris versus Albon on the F1 grid next year, given how those three teams do seem a little close to each other, Toro Rosso, McLaren and Williams. So, yeah, it would be nice to see that. And then, of course... Tickton versus Schumacher in the future whether it's F2 next year or F1 in a couple of years time so that'll be um, a good outcome I reckon so quickly with IndyCar as well we got confirmation that Santino Ferrucci will get the seat at Dale Coyne Racing so he'll be alongside Sebastian Bourdais next year so I guess a bit bit of a bitter one to swallow given the way that he made his exit from Formula 2 and of course uh pretty much being scratched off the list of uh, being a potential F1 hopeful in the future, but uh, it looks like IndyCar's very much embraced him. Everyone needs to run for the hills, otherwise we're going to be dealing with 30-odd fatalities next season when he doesn't get his way. He'll either ram you off the road or just start sending text messages um, when there's still a lot of carnage around the track and, and obviously his connections there they're more forgiving so you can only hope that with Dale Coyne just like with uh, Toro Rosso whoever it might be that they aren't left uh, regretting their decisions sooner than later well at least I know that Helmut Marco wouldn't regret <laughs> bringing, <laughs> bringing we, in Dan Tickton that is we also see what was his name Fanati he, he seems to have decided to resume his fledgling motor cycling career after it seemed as though he was going to retire he's resuming in moto 3 next season so these guys are unrepentant exactly so romano fanati of course (coughs) sorry included on the uh, entry list for 2019 so that was a bit of a surprise thinking that oh yeah we'll never see him again and suddenly he pops up to to return for 2019 but yeah you'd think that this is his last chance really to go through moto 3 again moto 2 if he doesn't perform then that's it you don't want to waste any more time so while we're on moto gp i guess uh the season ended in valencia last weekend uh took the win of course um it was a dramatic race a race of two halves i actually haven't gone back and watched the replay yet because i couldn't wake up late that night to watch the race so but yeah it was the first podium for Polis Bargaro and also for KTM since they joined the championship as a manufacturer so the hard work of KTM sort of vindicated with that result and of course the postseason testing for 2019 already underway with all the the riders making the switches we've got Jorge Lorenzo already on the Honda Johan Zarco on that KTM of course um, the Yamahas were really quick in the first couple of days of testing, so positive signs perhaps for for next year, given the fact that they've got that new engine on board and both Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales have got some positive things to say about that new engine. It's always the intriguing concept with MotoGP that the day after the previous season comes to an end that the new one notionally commences, and it's a nice way to tide over that um hype and the, the tedium of 
that off season three or four months and, and a lot of optimism for those those drivers who have moved on and Jorge Lorenzo coming to terms with a completely different bike to anything he's used to and, and Johan Zarco there with KTM he'll be hoping for some big things now they're starting to to finally look like a podium proposition after bagging that first one out as fortuitous as it might have been in the the conditions but uh, will anyone take it to Mark Marquez that's always the, the question these days it seems as though he just finds a way to adapt and evolve regardless of any kind of change yeah whether it's from Yamaha next year or Ducati with Davizioso and his new teammate Danilo Petrucci yeah you'd be hoping that there is some competition too uh mark marquez next year and even suzuki you know next year with the year that they've had with uh several podiums between Ianoni and alex rins alex rins in the back part of the season has been quite strong so he'll be the team leader next year with the moto 3 champion john Mir coming in next year so yeah and interesting to note too that suzuki will lose their um, privileges that they had as far as having extra in-season testing is concerned and they'll only have the one engine that they have to homologate at the start of the year so very much like Yamaha, Ducati and um, Honda currently have so Suzuki all their development starting to pay off but next year is going to be the big year with being in line with those other manufacturers can they perhaps you know not go for the championship outright but actually get into the mix for race wins stepping up to play with the big boys now and it's probably a sign of recognition that they don't need these dispensations and you can hope they've they've got that confidence now to to back themselves to to make that leap exactly so that's MotoGP we'll probably talk about MotoGP a little bit more when we do our end of season review in a few weeks time but uh now we've got supercars and the Newcastle finale this weekend. So the championship, of course, to be decided on the streets once again. And it's a 14-point difference. I think we've said 14 like 14 times already today. It seems to be the, the magic number with the championships at the moment. So a 14-point difference between Scott McLaughlin and Shane Van Gisbergen as McLaughlin targets a maiden championship. Of course, Van Gisbergen's already got a crown under his belt, so he's targeting his second. The team's championship was already secured by Red Bull in Auckland. But, um, yeah, given that we've got two gruelling races this weekend, 250 kilometres each, and how we saw last year the championship basically unfolded in that final race for Scott McLaughlin, just an error-laden run, and that final tangle with Craig Lowndes, which eventually saw the title fall into Wind Cup's hands. So can we expect another cracker like that this weekend? Is it going to be a bit more straightforward? It's just really exciting to think about. Well, McLaughlin will have very vivid memories of the way that did transpire, and he was so close, and it looked for all intensity. He had one hand on the title after the Saturday race, and just um, the, the lack of experience ultimately cost him on... The Sunday, and then you have Van Gisbergen, who's been there recently enough in 2016 to to know how to play that longer game. And as much as he's trailing here, when it comes to keeping himself out of strife, particularly around the streets here, um, it won't be that going for broke mindset on the first day. And and you can only hope that we get on track these two on the Sunday. Perhaps it'll be a battle of whoever's first on track there becomes champion. Exactly, and qualifying is going to be a crucial aspect given that it's a street track and I guess um, 
McLaughlin's been the qualifying master all season, but uh, does Red Bull and Van Gisbergen have the better car, I guess? You know, McLaughlin was able to break his drought for wins, which went back to middle of the season um, last time out in Auckland. So could he be up there, Van Gisbergen? Has he got the better car? It's just a lot of questions to ask. And I guess going back to what you said about, you know, McLaughlin not having the experience last year, I guess this year he's shown that he's a lot more mature. He's had a lot more mature drives. So perhaps this is where he, he seals it up. But um, it's hard not to also talk about the teammates coming to the equation as well, because we've got Fabian Coulthard in McLaughlin's corner, Wind Cup in Van Gisbergen's corner. And oddly enough too, Craig Lowndes, given that it's his final event, will he be on hand to support Van Gisbergen as well, or will he be going for broke himself to try and get a good result for his final solo event? It was undoubtedly a benefit of having multiple rear gunners for the Triple Eight camp, and when you look at the, the way the championship's been, Quiltard's had a quite a, a weak campaign in contrast to Win Cup and, and Lowndes there with multiple victories each, so you'd hope that he's able to stay out of strife and support McLaughlin he has been a bit unfortunate this year just the way circumstances have played out but they'll very much be making sure that he can aid them wherever they can but for for Lowndes you'd, you'd hope that he's afforded a crack at a victory if it does come to pass rather than purely being a roadblock if he's needed exactly and it's going to be an emotional weekend for CL I guess um, we saw the livery unveiled much like Fernando Alonso getting a special livery for his final uh, race before he goes into I guess just co-driving next year so a nice throwback to throwback to the um, better electrical livery that he had in 04, 05, 06 so where he had I guess the the bulk of his success with Triple Eight that emotional 06 Bathurst victory of course so quite a striking livery and I guess you want to do it some justice this weekend with hopefully a win if not on the podium. Well it was most intriguing was some remarks from his former boss at Holden, John Crennan, who who believes that within the next 12 months or so, he'll start to have itchy feet, and he believes that there's a chance he could resume a full-time capacity, whether that ends up being with Triple Eight once again or with someone else. He's He thinks he's the kind of racer who, who just can't get away from it. Uh, after a little bit of a break and after 20-odd years, perhaps could revitalize him so I, I don't think we're going to be saying we expect him back on the grid full-time in 2020 but the idea that someone so influential like John Crennan is publicly voicing this then if it does come to pass then no one will be complaining for, for what his charisma offers um, it's certainly going to be stark next year when we get to Adelaide and he's not on the grid just for everything that he offers exactly and here's a thought for you for 2020 uh Scott McLaughlin and Craig Lowndes together at DJR Team Penske. How would that? How would that? How does that sound? I guess if uh, if it came to pass, so that would be a formidable lineup, of course, with the the Ford Mustang too. And quickly, while we're talking about Ford as well, so an emotional weekend too for Mark Winterbottom. Can he go out on a high for his um, what in what is his final event for the Tickford team? Who's been he's been at for thirteen years. And also the Falcons' final flight as well. So the last weekend for the Ford Falcon in Australian motor, well, in supercars at least. So can they be? They go out as champions with the drivers' championship before the Mustang comes in for 2019. 
it's ended on a bit of a, a damn squib for, for Winterbottom at least, but such a long-term servant, you'd hope that these characteristics even things out a bit for him just to, to do it justice and then he can resolve his own future, it seems, with Team 18 and making that um, supposedly controversial switch to Holden, even though it's his only real option to continue in a full time capacity and then for Falcon they'll just be hoping that McLaughlin can do it justice with a a driver's title there yeah exactly so sending him out on a high would be really good but um other than that yeah there's going to be plenty to discuss next week when we talk about the fallout from Newcastle and also Abu Dhabi apologies again I guess I can't really continue much longer um on this edition given the uh the throats a bit saw but um yeah other than that um i guess we look forward to the weekend for what it will be last proper weekend i guess of motorsport action for 2018 and then there's going to be plenty to talk about i guess in the postscript about when we look at all the other categories around the world and what's happened in f1 and properly digest and discuss the year that's been 2018 yeah it's been fun but as ever it goes very quickly and then we just hope we after this we can take stock and be back bigger better than ever but next few weeks we'll we'll discuss everything that has unfolded exactly so until then thank you very much for joining us and hope you enjoy the final race weekend of the season till then